0: In this episode of the unfold the soul bless his heart leadership podcast the question is are you selling context or are you selling greatness girl he reads from these journals he kept when he was a principal uncut and uncensored putting all his business in the street the podcast bless his heart the name ken williams This day started with a visit from my assistant superintendent, Linda Tanner, and a visit from one of our board members, Mrs. Hunter. Tanner invited her to come and take a look at what we had going on at Swint. I wasn't expecting her to have a guest with her because what started out as a visit based on why we were moving my sitting assistant principal turned into a small showcase for where I plan to take Swint as a school. Selling what I'm passionate about is a strength of mine. Tanner kind of turned me loose on Miss Hunter as her parent guest. When I was done unleashing my vision for Swint, they were putty in my hands, and I expected them to be. I served them lunch, and the visit lasted for more than three hours. Absolute joy. I was amazed at how freely Miss Hunter talked about different issues, including our system and our superintendent. I just sat awkwardly and listened. All right, baby, let's get into this. I'll tell you what, this week's podcast, I mean, everything happens for a reason, I believe. I mean, there is no coincidences in life. And I got a question from uh, a principal this week that is just in line with this podcast. So first of all, I want to tell you, I feel a sense of pride in the fact that, you know, 15 years later, I really do walk my talk in this sense. You know, consider the title of this podcast. You know, are we looking to, are we looking for models? Are we looking to mitigate? Right. And so when my assistant superintendent brought that board member to my school, and mind you, this is the worst performing school in the entire district and the worst performing district in the greater Atlanta area at the time. And I'm still in the middle of my first year, which is in many respects, if you listen to the podcast, a complete shit show. That said, I sold the dream that day and it's because of, of a couple of reasons one I invest heavily in visioning you know way too many times schools for either expediency and just don't maybe don't understand the power of the visioning process you know come up with their mission statement and then find a way to craft another statement and kind of shoehorn the word vision into it but that's not visioning visioning is seeing past your current circumstances into an ideal future. And we laud athletes who do this. We laud the fact that Ted Williams would talk about seeing the pitches as they come down. He would visualize base hits before he even got up to bat. Uh, The way Larry Bird would visualize winning three-point contests at All-Star Games and then walk through the locker room after he did his visualization exercise, the rotation of every ball, how every ball went in. And then he'd walk around the locker room before the contest asking these professionals these NBA players who's coming in second and then he go out and do it he go out and do it and so for us for where we were we were that school for us to see past our daily chaos the daily circumstances the daily shit show we had to sit down as a staff and we didn't craft a vision statement we crafted it was a narrative. I call it the day in the life. Like, what is if we had a magic wand, what would the day in the life at our school look like? And we began outside in the parking lot when people parked their cars. Like, what do we want them to see when they walk in? What do we want the condition of our lawn to be? Do we want weeds growing through the sidewalk and swiping at your shins as you walked in? And when you walked in, what do we want the foyer to look like? And that led to us having, you know, commissioning this guy to do this beautiful mural on these cinder block walls. What do we want when our clientele, our clientele. Now, this is now we in, we in the hood now. I mean, it was nothing for mamas to come up in house coats and a bonnet and cussing somebody's ass out, but we had to get past all that, right? Our clientele didn't change, but we got to treat them like clientele. What do we want them to experience when they walk into the front office? And so we had a whole vision of that that they'd be treated like clients, like that our, our front office staff would, you know. Be very welcoming and also learn how to de escalate situations that were hot and intense. All these things. What do we want parents to see as they're walking down the hallways? Like we had what I call hood aspirations. We wanted every parent to be five minutes late for a parent meeting because there was so much great work in the hallways that they had to stop and read those things. So, my point is the reason I was able to sell such a compelling picture to our board member guest and my assistant superintendent is because we'd worked all that stuff out. I wasn't blowing sunshine. You know, I wasn't hyping things up. I was just talking about where we were going to go. And visioning helps you do that. It activates that side of the brain. You know, Einstein calls that, you know, the, the creative side of the brain to help see past where we are. Because to use the rational side of the brain is not going to work because you're too you're too much in the mess, like like what's right in front of you is often so daunting, it's hard to see past that to an ideal future, so you've got to carve out time to do a real visioning activity. And it's, it's what I do with schools, in fact, I'm heading to Houston today to do a two-day workshop on starting a movement. I'm going to, you know, infuse some of that ruthless equity work into it, and we're going to engage them in some visioning for where they want to go, their ideal future. And, but more importantly, and the point I really want to drive home in this podcast is based on a question that I got from a principal recently and one that I hear all the time. So a principal said, Hey, can, can you point me in the direction of other school leaders who have both high poverty and high literacy rates? Like they, you know, in the midst of high poverty, working on high literacy rates now, the person who asked me this question, I know his heart and head and hands are in the right place. So I know he's looking for models, right? That, that, that's one thing, looking for models, right? Looking for something that tells you I can do it too. And there's nothing wrong with that. When entrepreneurs, uh, you know, set up time to talk with me and talk about how to get a consultancy started. One of my first questions is who's doing what you're doing now, Like, There's no sense in reinventing the entire wheel if somebody's out there doing what you do. And if they're doing it well, hey, see what you can draft off their model. Like, that's a model. But what I find more in our field is the other side of that. And that's mitigate. I almost like, um, you know, when I, when I do workshops on site, and I'll talk about, you know, how we moved our school culture from where it was to where it needed to be. You know, I get people on, you know, we take a break and a couple of people come up and ask me, "Hey, uh, yeah, so that sounds good. Or how many how many kids did you have at your school, Ken? And I say 753. Oh, we have, we have 755. It's not going to work at our school. And so right there, they're not looking for a model. They're looking for ways to mitigate, right? A- another um, built-in excuse for why they're not going to make it. And I find we do more of that than we do looking for models. My friend and colleague and mentor, uh, Dr. Doug Reeves, talks about this. He talked about it years ago when he had those 90-90-90 schools, like 90% free and reduced lunch, 90% uh, achievement, 90% poverty. And he would give these examples from the stage, and people were just like, oh, that's good. Show me another one. And he showed, now another one. And now another one. And the idea was, like, if you can't show me 15 of them, that means it's not going to work for us. See, that, that's a mitigate mindset. That's when you're looking for those embedded excuses for why it won't work. And so my response to the principal who asked this was, look, I know your head's in the right place, but I want you to be cautious because you're, you're taking this information back to your leadership cohort because they want examples of high poverty and high literacy. Just make sure they're looking for models. Because the bottom line is this, and I'm proud of this as a principal. Yes, my school was nestled in the hood. Yes, we were 95% free and reduced lunch. Yes, we were six years of cycle failure. Yes, we were that school, the lowest performing school in the district. But I never, I never base any of our goals on context. I never base it on other schools that have 95% free and reduced lunch, 95% uh, kids of color. Never, never. Because I believe in universal practice, right? The the same principles of belonging, um, achievement, uh, great literacy instruction, c- great collaboration, great collaborative culture, those transcend what your demographics are. And I've always operated that way. So I never, ever, and I mean never, never ever looked for mitigating circumstances. Well, that school's doing... I don't care if the school... And listen, on our knockout chart, we had private schools that parents are paying five, high five figures for their kids to go to elementary school. We had them on our knockout list. We were going to knock their asses out. And it didn't matter to me that... In those communities, kids were living in, you know, eight, nine hundred thousand dollar million dollar homes, you know, whatever, two parent households, high income, high tax base. None of that mattered to me. All that mattered was if you're really earning achievement at your school, what are you doing? Can it can it be replicated? And if you put your pants on the way we do. Right. You put your pants on the way I do. Then we can do it. We can do it. And that's part of the reason we were able to turn things around. I didn't go in there like Joe Clark with a big stick knocking folks over. It was just like, look, high-performing schools do this. And they get results. I'm not talking about those schools where kids are born on the two-yard line and we bragging about how many touchdowns we scored. I'm talking about those schools that have earned it, that earn getting better. Those are universal practices, right? There's no uh, uh, poor kids of color uh, way of... uh, embedding high levels of literacy, right? Great reading instruction is great reading instruction. And so I'm going to urge you as I did here was that you look for models. Don't look to mitigate. There's way too much of that going on where, you know, if you're consulting with a school and your school's population looks different than the school you're working with, you know, it's almost like the audience is almost predisposed to discount what you accomplished Based on the fact that your population doesn't look like mine, like your tax base doesn't look like mine, I don't want to hear any of that. That's that's BS. That's nonsense. That's nonsense. Don't buy into that. And I didn't. I've never bought into that. All I talked about that day, 15 years ago, was about greatness and what we were going to do, right? Getting our culture right, of uh, learning for all mindset, learning for all practices. Yes, ruthless equity wasn't out then, but. I was definitely ruthless then. So we were talking about dismantling ability groups, not having those labels, right? We we want to we want to call our kids by name. We're not, I don't want to know them by labels. We're not we're not focusing on subgroups. We're going to address every need by by name and by need, by student, by standard. That's that's the way we grouped. We moved from this model of stacking and tracking to addressing needs by name and by need. If you had six kids who were struggling to Reduce fractions to their simplest form. Then we need to bring those six kids together, get them coached up with an eye on great level or better. And then we go from there. These are the principles, right? The four rules of rootless equity, right? It's got to be, you got to start with the crown, not with the kid. And that transcends, that has nothing to do with your demographic. And so my point is, if you're going to look for comparative models, make sure you're looking for a model that inspires you, and not given to the fear that results in you saying things like, "Well, their school doesn't look like ours, therefore we can't do it; therefore we're stuck in the place we are." Now, I know there's some differences sometimes with you know the kind of resources you get. I get that, but there's some intangibles that transcend resources. A collaborative culture doesn't depend on the type of resources you get. It doesn't depend on money. It depends on what you do with the time. Everybody's got the same 24-hour pie. Every school's got the same seven hours when kids are on campus. It's how you divide that up. And the collaborative culture is important enough, if it's important enough to your learning for all culture, you make that happen. So is the same with MTSS time, RTI time, carving out that extra time for kids to accelerate when they're behind and to be extended and enriched when they already have it. Those things aren't dependent upon your population. That's dependent upon how you prioritize time at your school. And so I think one of the reasons why we were successful at my school. And one of the reasons why I have success as a trainer, speaker and consultant is because that's the mindset I take into every situation on every campus with every team, with every leadership team, with every superintendent that it's when I'm not by, I'm not getting into your population. I'm not getting into that. If you need a model to know it's real, we can find that as long as you treat it like a model. Because when we mitigate, when we go to mitigate, that's fear talking. That's fear talking. That's that gremlin on the one side of your ear whispering that, well, those kids don't look like yours. Well, they're on that side of town. And that has nothing to do because, see, what happens is culture's built from the inside out, not the outside in. And all the reasons we use to mitigate, which are almost always reasons outside our control, where the kids front come from, what the parents are like, what resources they don't have at home, all those things take us away from what we can leverage best and leverage most and leverage most effectively and what we have the most control over, which is what we do on campus at the school with our time. And have we brought together those three things, the heart, the head, and the hands? And so let that drive you. You hear that in this episode where, again, we were the worst performing school. And it would have been easy to spend three hours talking about what we don't have and what our kids don't have and what they lack and what their home lives lack and what our parents lack and all those things. But I don't don't spend a second on that because the stuff I know makes the difference is stuff we can control. We can do. We can do. I don't care what your, where your school is what your situation is nothing there is preventing you from embedding an effective collaborative culture nothing is preventing you from focusing on the right questions and right issues and that's the lesson I want you to take from this thing I say this in Ruthless Equity and um, I'm going to shamelessly hold this book up because look my gas bill is paid right my electric bill is paid I'm good to go So this is not about selling books for profit. I'm telling you, you listen to this podcast, you're watching this video, you need this book. Every single educator on your campus needs this book. And soon I'm going to be releasing around uh, the middle of October, 2022, the Ruthless Equity video book study that will help walk you through all nine chapters of this book. It's a game changer, baby. It's a game changer. And one of the things I mentioned in this book is that there is a going forwardness to greatness. It's no different than that YouTube channel you want to start, but you're afraid of what people think. It's no different than that business you want to begin that you've been thinking about, but you're afraid to take that step forward. It's no different from any of those things that ask you to stretch your hands as far as they can go. And then you realize your goal is just beyond that reach. It should scare you a little bit and excite you at the same time. There is a going for itness to all means all. When you really mean all means all, when it gets beyond a cliche, uh, beyond a statement that's on your lanyard, there's a going for itness to it. And that's what I was doing that day with those two people, with my assistant superintendent and the guest you brought to our school. I was selling them on greatness this place where we we're gonna go, where we we're gonna end up, the transformation we're gonna create and then break down the things we're doing, the collective commitments to make that happen. And so I was ruthless about the factors that matter and equally ruthless about not addressing the stuff that, yeah, I mean, it's real, but I'm not gonna give it the power that a lot of people give it. I'm not gonna give it. I'm not gonna give our kids home lives the power when they spend most of their waking hours with us. I'm not gonna do that. And so I encourage you to do the same thing. There's a going for itness to it and you've got to go for it. Nobody gets out of bed for mediocre goals. Nobody gets out of bed for some mediocre generic uninspired vision. What kept us going while we caught hell is something that I do that I know my friend and colleague out there Brig Brig Lane does. Every single thing, every single decision we back mapped it to our vision, how does it it serve our vision? Everything we did, every field trip we approved, every resource, every conference we went to, every book we read, everything we did, everything we stopped doing, everything we started doing served our ambitious and audacious vision. And so stop, if, if you found yourself, and I'm guilty of co-signing on answering a lot of those questions about uh, can you find a school that looks exactly like ours and looks like ours and again when you're looking for a model that's cool but what I find we do in education is we look for ways to mitigate and I'm not not—I'm no longer co-signing on mitigation no longer co-signing on mitigation look Mr. Hal Gabby's 89 years old I was bowling this morning he whooped my ass today and I'm an able-bodied Right, I'm an able-bodied, grown man. And this 89-year-old man whooped my ass again today. Throwing that ball two miles per hour. But I didn't excuse anything. I watched his approach. I watched how relaxed he was on his release. I watched where his hand was when he let the ball go. And I used his example after he gave me a lot of shit about it, because that's what he does. He sh- he comes on over and then gives me uh, some hell about what I'm not doing. I watch, and then I try to emulate because I use his example as a model, not to mitigate. When I see guys throw with a lot more power and a lot more hook in their ball and they seem like borderline pros, I don't use anything they're doing as an excuse for why I can't. I look for those little nuggets to make me better. And that's what I want you to do. Get away from this, from this. Uh, it's a crisis of confidence of sorts where if we can't find a school that looks exactly like ours and has all the same boxes checked, then their data is not valid. That's BS. If you got a school that's getting after it, I know what they're doing. They're focusing on learning and not teaching. They're focusing, like, learning is the outcome, not teaching. They're clear on the crown. They've gotten clear on what every student must know and be able to do. They start with the crown, not with the kid. They engage in a collaborative culture where when they engage common formative assessment data, they're not simply looking for who got it and who didn't to validate what they already knew before they gave the assessment. What they're doing is they're looking for opportunities for to improve their instructional practice through the examination of data. That's what's happening in those schools. That's what I want you to do. I want you to listen to this episode and use it as the model for you to get better as well. So until next time, Start with the crown. Hey, my book, Ruthless Equity, Disrupt the Status Quo and Ensure Learning for All Students is out. It has been met with phenomenal response. I know this is less than humble, but uh, I prayed on it. And listen, our kids can't afford me to be humble. This book needs to be in the hands of every single educator without question. And that's not about selling books. That's about impact. I can make you one solid promise when you read this book. You will not utter the phrase. This book reminds me of another book I read. You will not utter that phrase. Ruthless equity is my defining work. It's everything I believe, everything I know. It will change the game. It clarifies equity, which has been pulled in 500,000 different directions. So pick up your copy now. You can find it on Amazon.com. Just search Ruthless Equity, Ken Williams. Or I've got a large amount of demand for signed copies. If you want a signed copy, of Ruthless Equity, go to my website, UnfoldTheSoul.com go to the store in the menu tab and order Ruthless Equity from my website. You'll see this information in in the notes as well. Lastly, for schools and districts that would like to order 20 or more copies of Ruthless Equity, I am offering a 20% discount. That's 20% off of the list price if you order 20 copies or more to do that go to unfoldthesoulcom slash bulk 20 the number two zero it's unfold slash bulk two zero get your copy of ruthless equity today it is a game changer baby On the next episode of the Unfold the Soul Bless His Heart Leadership Podcast, leaders have an obligation to expand the vision of their staff. Get past your current circumstances and show them what greatness looks like, baby. Show them what it looks like. You've been listening to the Unfold the Soul Bless His Heart Podcast with Ken Williams. For more information about Ken, visit unfoldthesoul.com.